Everyone has a story to tell. Welcome to Dingo Talk, where we explore the experiences that make us who we are. Here's your host, Carlo Guadagnino. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk, and this week we are not going to be talking about Division Three football, as today is the NFL Draft. So we're going back to our roots here at Dingo Talk. If you go back into the vault, um, you can see how this show started, which was a microphone, a beer can, and me talking about the NFL Draft uh, about two years ago. Uh, this week, we are joined by Alan Saunders, uh, beat writer for the Pitt Panthers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Pirates, pretty much. And as you're going to find out as we do this interview, there is not a sport in Pittsburgh that Alan has not covered um, to an almost in-depth level. Um, even last year, getting in some uh, some Riverhound soccer uh, because it's a sport that he wasn't as comfortable talking about. So he, he took himself outside of that comfort zone. Before we get any further into that, um, TikTok, the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The only one different is Instagram. You got a dingo underscore talk. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. Hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe. Don't miss an episode. If you're listening to us on Apple po Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you listen to your po our podcast, please, again, hit the like button, little notification bell so you don't miss anything. Um, but we're going to talk to Alan Saunders about being a Pittsburgh kid coming from Penn Trafford, going to IUP, and, and everywhere that that's taken him. Uh, we're also going to obviously talk about where he expects the Steelers to go with the draft being today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of Pirates, a little bit of Pitt Panthers, and, and, a, and a hodgepodge of other things. So without further ado, welcome to the Dingo Talk Draft Special, and here is Alan Saunders. Chuckleheads, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk, and it's a very special episode of Dingo Talk as we return to our roots for the first time in two years. We're going to talk about the draft as this is coming out on draft day. I'm joined by Alan Saunders, and uh, the best way to describe, as I did in this first go-round of this, um, it'd be better to tell you what he doesn't cover, which I believe might be the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and, and even then you might still be... I've done it. I've done it. I covered them last year for one match, so yeah, it counts. I've basically everything in pittsburgh you can do i've done at least once that's that's been the goal so yeah east hills guy so it's nice to have another guy from from the east side of pittsburgh you know us, us guys we don't really see each other very often um you, you you're a Monroe, born and raised in monroeville uh penn trafford so let's talk about why the choice to when you graduated from penn trafford why was iup the choice uh, you know, it, it wasn't the first choice. I actually went to Gettysburg College my freshman year, um, and I uh, thought I wanted to study history. Turns out I didn't want to study history. Learned that. Uh, they they taught me that very well. Um, and I still love history. I've actually been reading uh, this uh, incredible uh, history on the Civil War written by Shelby Foote. Uh, it's this three massive volume, like two to three thousand page books and uh it's been a bear but i do a lot of traveling so that's been my friend on the airplane recently uh still love history but wasn't a job for me didn't really know what a job for me was going to be uh and mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to get through it and get into working and i did that and uh stumbled upon where i'm at now sort of accidentally well, so let's let's dive into that how did you decide once you got through kind of the rigmarole of being a college student and trying to figure out what the next steps were going to be. 
why did you decide to become a writer and, and be involved in covering sports? Um, I didn't really decide, I guess is the best way to answer that question. Um, I, I had, uh, I was, so I've always been a sports lover uh, since as long as I can remember. Um, grew up a, you know, obviously a big Pittsburgh sports fan. If you're from Pittsburgh, you know, that's everybody. Uh, but you know, um, great, uh, family connection to sports. I think that was the big thing. My mom was a big hockey fan. My godmother had penguin season tickets. Uh, both of my uncles, huge pit fans and, and Steelers fans. And so uh, I just had that from a very young age. I can remember my grandfather taking me to three over stadium, uh, probably six, you know, uh, th those, that was a big part of me. And so sports was always something that I was very interested in. Um, I was not a professional athlete, as most people are. And I didn't ever think that sports as a career was realistic. I tried to, like, always find things that were somehow connected to sports. I started my own business working in fitness equipment. Uh, we actually worked for the Steelers for a little bit, uh, helped build them with their new weight facility there at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. Made a lot of good connections that way, um, but really physical work and not something I felt like I was going to be able to do for the rest of my life. And so mm -hmm. I kind of decided like I was going to go back to school. I was going to try to find something else. I don't know, maybe teach. I, I didn't really have a plan and I just needed something else to do while I was going back to school. And I had a friend uh, in the journalism business said, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody, you know, think you might be able to help. I had done a little bit of sports writing when I was in college, just as a thing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. I said, I think I can do this. And it just sort of went from there. It became a career. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, I remember falling in love with it. I think that was the big thing. I had never really had, I was always a kid that didn't know what he wanted to be when he grew up. You know, like that question was hard for me. Even through high school, I really wasn't sure. In the college, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. I didn't have any idea really. Uh, it was, wasn't really until I had done the job for a little bit that it kind of, I got the bug for it and I kind of fell in love with it. And I realized, Hey, this is what I want to do. And then it was just a ton of hard work from there. I mean, it is a brutally, uh, difficult industry to break into, but it, it, once I really decided that that's what I want to do, that was, um, maybe 2012 or 2013. That's when I really first kind of put my full effort into uh, deciding this was going to be a career for me. And it's a weird path and not the one that most people take, but it's one that's out there if you are willing to work hard enough. Now, was writing something that you enjoyed doing before you got specifically into like writing about sports? Or was that part of that you've kind of got the bug and it, it kind of snowballed from there? I would say I, was, I always felt like I was a good writer, but I didn't really have a reason to. You know, like if I had an assignment for a class and it's, you know, I was always the kid, uh, you know, I, I give me a, give me a five paragraph essay instead of a, instead of a test, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I felt like that was a good way to express myself. Um, but I didn't have anything that I was passionate enough to be writing about consistently. Um, a friend of mine also from you know, the same high school, uh, he, he writes like poetry and submits things to Reader's Digest. And I'm always amazed at the ability to have the you know writing is hard work and to mm -hmm. have that process uh without a topic you know that you're necessarily attached to to me feels so much more difficult you know i always feel like you have to be a journalist first and a sports fan second and that's true but i couldn't do this job writing about like house fires like all like i have so much admiration for people 
that are, you know, news journalists mm-hmm. specifically because to me, that is far more difficult than what I do, where I just get to write about something I love every day. And like, maybe there's bad stories, but I'm still at the end of the day writing about a game. And, and you know, to me, it's just a lot easier than, than the other part of this job. Well, and I think that's something people don't necessarily think about. When, when you're thinking about the guy that writes for the Post-Gazette or the Trib, and they're writing the article about, you know, Joe Biden or what's going on in the city of Pittsburgh. More difficult than being a sports fan and being able to sit there and say, well, we, we both watched the game. Well, here's my opinion of the game. And then this is what happened. And, and so it's just a different track mind when you're talking about writing about sports as opposed to the, the other things that come down the line as a writer. It's very humbling as uh, I, I freelance for the Associated Press and, you know, you log into the back end of the, the you know, where you submit your articles and I can see what all the other stories that are coming in the wire, you know, and it's like, you know, uh, you know, protesters being killed in, in Iran and and war correspondents submitting stuff from Ukraine and and, you know, even in this country, you know, school shooting or, or whatever's at the top of the news. And then here's my here's my 300 words about the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> Uh, you know, like I almost, you, you feel like you don't matter and you don't, but I think honestly, I think it's a good, it's a good perspective to have. It is just sports at the end of the day. Uh, it's some people's livelihoods, but it's very rarely someone's life and death. Um, and and I think you do have to treat it with a level of seriousness because of the money that's involved and because it really is people's livelihoods, but it is also, frequently pales in comparison to what happens in the rest of our world and uh, should be treated with a proper amount of levity. I feel like I try to do that in my coverage. It's like, let's remember why we're all here. We're watching grown men play a kid's game or women. Um, this week uh, was, was a big week for women's sports. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're just, we're playing around. We're, we are having to endless debates about, about playground insults back and forth on the basketball court right so like let's just let's just take it easy a little bit that's that's kind of why i try to uh center my coverage well and that's the i always i always find it amusing when the whole point of sports is that for the hour or the two hours that you're watching that nothing you, you don't have to worry about anything else you're just watching adults play a sport that you may or may not have played as a kid they're just getting paid quite handsomely to do it let's not make it into a bigger to do um like i guess the next question would be how did you when you got out and you started now you're this is what i'm gonna do how did you start putting work out outlets to try to get your stuff picked up i just never said no to any opportunity um, at first, I actually sought out opportunities to do stuff that was different. Oh, you know, we joked earlier about like, try to do everything, you know, like I love, like hockey was my sport growing up. It's, to me, it's like the one I was somewhat good at. It's the one I still play to this day when I can. Um, but I knew that like, I, w- I didn't want to leave Pittsburgh. Um, in journalism, if you have the ability to be mobile, you give yourself so much more of a chance for advancement, right? I mean, there's only so many jobs in so many cities and so many people that I know and respect in this business uh, move on to other places very quickly because that's the fastest way to move up. I knew to, for me personally, that just wasn't going to be 
an option. I wanted to stay in Pittsburgh. So I couldn't limit myself to just Pittsburgh hockey. That's eight jobs. Like, I, you know, you got to be able to do more than that. And so I, I just tried to spread myself around as much as I could. You mentioned the Riverhounds, actually. I was covering hockey um, and it's the summertime and I just volunteered. I was like, hey, uh, I want to go cover some soccer. I've never done it before. I like soccer. I don't really know that much about it. I'd like to learn. I want to know how to do it. Um, I want to, you know, I want to experience something different. And I feel like that has been um, one of my touchstones throughout my career is that I always try to find new opportunities. I'm, I've always been willing to accept any assignment and try to do different things. Um, this is a industry where things change very rapidly and you never know, uh, you know, where you're going to need to know someone or what skill you're going to need to have that you didn't know that you're going to need to have uh, in six months or a year. You know, I've only been doing this a decade uh, that the job has changed so much in that span. I assume it will continue to change at that rate. And I think being well-rounded gives you not just more opportunities, but better perspective on the way things are going and, and how you might be a better journalist overall. I think that was always something I tried to do. And um, one of my great compliments I had, a, I was covering, I don't know, it was a high school football game or something like that. And I had a, a reader say, it's like, if there's any sporting event in you know, Western Pennsylvania, chances are Alan Saunders has covered it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I was going for. I'm glad you picked it up like that. That is, <laughs> That's been the goal. Uh, and glad, feel- glad you're picking up on what I'm putting down. Cause- yeah, yeah. I'm glad someone else is seeing it. That's that's good because that's to me that was the the way forward. And uh, maybe if I had decided what I wanted to do in high school and had gone to school specifically for journalism, and I went to you know Syracuse or Waynesburg or somewhere that specializes in those things, and I had you know like made that the plan from day one, uh, you know things would have been very different for me, but I'm very happy with the way things turned out. And uh, I like my path and uh, it's fun and unique. And I still get to do random strange things from now and again, just cause, you know, that's, that's the way I am. Well, you, you, you brought up being from Pittsburgh. You're, you, you went to Penn Trafford. You're from Monroeville. There's, there's one time a year. We talked about it when we first t- touched base about getting you on the show. There's one time a year, I imagine, in Western Pennsylvania that your job is a 165 days crammed into like eight weeks or 12 weeks with Steeler football, Pitt football. And, you know, there's six classifications of high schools to, to cover. Is there a specific is it Friday night? Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? And I, I, I assume I know the answer to this, but I could be wrong. Which one do you enjoy covering the most? Oh, that's a really difficult question. I think I, oh, hmm, man, the thing I like about, I think they all have their, their moments. Um, I don't think anybody beats the pageantry of college football. I think to me, that is, that is sort of the peak of our sport. When you go to the backyard brawl, when you go cover Pitt, Penn state, uh, army, Navy, Ohio state, Michigan, um, nothing the NFL does touches that to me. Um, but I have this love hate relationship with college sports where it has this great pageantry, these great events, uh, but also from a media perspective, very difficult to cover, very, um, closed in access and an attitude towards the media, uh, extremely backward. In my opinion, I don't think it does anyone any good throughout the process, but, um, I think the coaches have far too much say in the matter compared to their administrators. 
I love the ability in the NFL for me to walk in the locker room on a Wednesday and strike up a conversation with someone that goes beyond sports where we can actually bond and create a relationship between the reporter and the, and the player. I think that yeah. makes everyone's coverage so much better when I have an understanding of what a person is like beyond just the player and they understand where I'm like and where I'm coming from. And I think a lot of the um, antagonism you see sometimes between media and the people that they cover happens because they don't know each other and we don't know where each other's coming from. Um, one of the things I used to say to you know recruits a lot of the times, uh, you know, you're coming to a new school, I'm going to interview you, we're going to talk. And I was like, hey, you know, if you do this good, I'm going to cover you for the rest of your career. You know, I'll cover you through college and I'll cover you all the way through the NFL. I'll, hopefully I'll cover you going into Canton someday. It's like, on the other hand, if you get arrested, I'm gonna be the one to write about it. If you yeah. screw up, if you get, if you if you if you make the if you make the play that costs your team the game, I'm gonna be the one that has to write about it. And I don't like that part of my job, but there's part of your job that you probably don't like too. Um, that this is just what it is. Like, I think building that understanding makes everything so much better, and you're able to do that at the NFL level more than you are anywhere else, just because of the access you have to the players. High school football, um. I, I, there's just something special about it. I think especially in, in places that, where it means a lot, like Western Pennsylvania, maybe it's not the same everywhere. Uh, sure it is in like Texas and, and, and other places, Florida, where high school football is a big deal. But where Ohio, where Ohio, where high school football is a big deal, it, there is just something very special about covering high school football on a Friday night. So I think, I think it's the, it's the thing to me that is, very comfortable and and i think like maybe someday i won't do this all the time and i'll have a different job or maybe i'll be in yeah i don't know but like i'd still like to do that every once in a while just because like i could see myself like you know 75 years old uh trying to trying to hang on in this business like i'll just do i'll just do one high school football game a week it's just a lot it's it's all the great fun of being a sports writer is, is plays out on on friday night football fields well, and, and it's interesting you bring that up about the trying to hang on. A very uh, staple, I would say, to Pittsburgh football that had taken his – he stepped away, he was he was done. And now KDKA kind of worked him back into the radio and, and we got the Fedco zone again. And, and there's there's just something about – said, there's, there's something about high school football – um, I, I'm a little surprised that with the, the college and the NFL, um, I guess my, uh, I wanted to wrap that up was does social media affect relationships with players depending, and does it, does it change from the college game to the, cause obviously the high school kid see something on social media, you're, you're, you've already flipped through it six times and you're not worried about it. College and the pros that feel like, is there more, you got to be a little careful with what you say or. Like you said, they they kind of know it's going to be a both-sided. I'm not going to tell just one side of the story. I'm going to tell both. I think um, it's it, – it's, I think players were a lot more able to tune out opinions about themselves when it wasn't on their phone all the time. You know, like it's one thing to not pick up the newspaper, to not turn on talk radio, uh, to not uh, turn on – you know, a TV show, like the final word we, we have on channel 11. Um, to, it's easy to to decide not to engage in those things. It's different when it's showing up in your social media mentions. Right. And so um, I think it's made for a lot more awareness of what we're saying about the players. 
And I think to me, I've never considered that to be a negative. I think it means you can't, you can't talk out of your butt, right? Like you better, like, you know, I might be talking to my friend, Tim from high school on Twitter, but if I'm talking about a player, I better be doing it knowledgeably and, and from a, a, you know, a place of professionalism. And I think that's always been the way I've treated social media. And so I don't think it's been an issue for me, but I think it's tough for some people, you know, you, you better have a take that you can back up when you go in the locker room or you're in the press room the next time you see that guy or things could get uncomfortable. It's never been that way for me. I've never uh, had a player that I couldn't get along with, or, I mean, listen, there's guys you don't like, there's guys that don't want to be in part of the process. There's guys that don't want to be interviewed, but I've never had a player come up to me about something I said or something I did uh, publicly and they had an issue with it. In fact, mm -hmm. many times it's been the opposite. I've had a lot of players come up to me and say, you know, Hey, look, I don't want to say this because it makes my teammate look bad, but thank you for recognizing who screwed up on that play and who didn't. And it wasn't me. Right. You know, like a player that, that didn't make the mistake is getting blamed for it. He's not gonna be like, no, no, it was that guy over there. Like, he's not <laughs> a bad teammate, But he will appreciate somebody else saying, actually, I think the responsibility lies over here. So like, there's, there's some, some good and some bad to it. I've never had an issue with it. I think it's made covering players much more interesting um, you have to really dig to get pieces of their personality that the public hasn't seen before. Um, mm -hmm. that, that didn't used to be the case. So I think it's made that part of the job a little bit more difficult, but I'm not complaining. I, I don't mind it. Well, and, and so you did your time, you did time with DK mm -hmm. sports. And now you, as you just brought up the, the, uh, on, on Sundays, correct? Yep. And that's DK as well now, right? He's kind of, or he was in there. He's not anymore. That's right. I forgot that. So, but what was it like working for with DK Sports? And then what's it like over on Channel 11? I mean, it's two totally different outlets. Uh, you know, what DK is doing is uh, an interesting uh, model of journalism that I think is in many ways um become an industry standard uh that, that was not before um tv is you know look i i work there one day a week maybe you know twice a month uh you know it's it's something fun to do i, I get recognized by people on the street more than i used to because my face is all the way across their tv screen instead of uh you know in in a tiny little corner of the 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 byline but that's not what i'm all about i mean i listen i like doing it but um, I've always felt like my biggest contributions can be uh, through the written word and through explaining things to people in a way that I feel like I can connect with them. And, uh, but it's fun. I will say that it's fun. It's fun to do. And, and I really like the people I work with at channel 11, Jenna Harner and I'll be oxen writer. I've been uh, uh, great to work with and, and uh, they're, they're pros. And so uh, I'm not, a, I don't have a face for TV, so I must be saying some good stuff. Otherwise, they wouldn't have me on. That's, that's what I was. So you're say. so you're saying you have a face for radio. I have a face for radio and a voice for print. That's uh... <laughs> you know I'm I'm learning. You know I had Jim Colony on a couple of weeks ago, and I'm learning this as a as I talk to some of these sports the sports broadcasters and the writers and whatnot. 
there's a lot of self-deprecating humor that comes out of you guys. Like between you and the division three football coaches, there's just, I don't know when I'm supposed to, there's sometimes there's a comment. I'm like, Oh, I, I didn't think to say that. There's, you can't take yourself too seriously in this job. If you you go nuts, if you do, I, I really think so. I, I think, you know, that's just being centered on what it is. It's sports. It's fun. If you can't poke fun at yourself, somebody else is going to anyway, you may as well. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't ever hide from any of my flaws and there are many. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I'm very blessed to feel like that. I got that opportunity to be on channel 11. And uh, despite my, my obvious television shortcomings that uh, they, they keep having me back. Let's, let's get you into more, more comfortable than just talking about your, your life so far. I want to talk Football, pit basketball, and obviously, since we are on the draft show, we're going to preview tonight's day. So, football, would you say this year it set back for step or a step back from the previous year? Was it kind of we just stay they stayed even, or were there strides made that that maybe didn't show up in in a couple games? I think they took a little bit of a step back um they they had an opportunity to have as good of a season as they had before and they weren't able to take advantage of it they didn't get very good quarterback play um they were a little banged up um mm-hmm. I, I think that was an underrated part of what happened for them but i mean i think i think they sort of established that 2021 with kenny pickett was not a fluke and they yeah. did it because they go out and win nine games, even though they didn't get very good quarterback play at all. You know, I think most of the time in college, if you get, if you if you have good quarterback play, you should feel pretty good about yourself. If you don't, uh, you're really gonna have to work hard for every win. And uh, Pitt got pretty miserable quarterback play last year on the whole, and to win nine games and to go win a bowl game, like I think they showed that they can, they have a pretty high floor. That mm-hmm. they've raised the floor of the program. Now they didn't reach their ceiling last year. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of both, right. They, they did prove something, um, but they also left some, some meat on the bone. I'm very excited to see what they can do this year. I think they're pretty well poised, uh, but they bring most of their team back. I mean, they're losing collage. can but let me tell you about this pit defensive line. They just reload. They, there's just more guys they're, They have a ton of guys and what Charlie Partridge and, and Pat Narduzzi and Randy Bates have done with that unit is, uh, really become a calling card of that program. So Kalaja Kansi, very good player, going to be a first-round pick. Hobba Baldonado, going to get drafted for sure, um, you know, somewhere in the third day probably. Like, to me, they're at the point with that defensive line where losing two draft picks is not a big deal. Um, they're yep. they're just roll, roll, roll right through that. Might have a little more trouble with safety in the linebacker. Um, they lost their starter safety, both starting safeties and, and middle linebacker, but – you know, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. And the ACC as a whole is a lot of teams that can be beat. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. there's somebody outside of Clemson that they don't play this year that they should feel like they can't compete with year in and year out. That doesn't mean they're going to win all the games, but they belong on the field with everybody. And they got a challenging schedule. They play Cincinnati, they play West Virginia, they play Notre Dame. Should be a really fun season for Pitt football. And uh, going to see Kalaja Kansi's name called very early in this uh, draft process. And on the other side of the ball, there's another – Kid coming home. I, I think I saw a report earlier this week that there is a a very hotly contested battle for number two. Nobody was named in that number one spot, but I think the pres- 
The presumption is is that it's Phil. If you have a con- if you have a contested battle for number two, that means you know who number one is. It's going to be Phil Dracovic coming back to Pittsburgh from uh, Pine Richland by way of Boston College in Notre Dame. A really interesting guy. I mean, I think there was a point over his you know career where he was talked about as a potential first round draft pick. It's got some some mechanical issues. I think probably still need ironed out, but. Uh, the really the big one is he wasn't healthy, you know, and, and especially last season at Boston College, I think that's what really held him back. If he can stay healthy, he gets reunited with Frank Signetti, who was his offensive coordinator his first year at BC. You know, I think he has the chance to put himself in the conversation to be talked about this time next year. I, I really do. Um, and, you know, they got the transfer of Kevin Vayer from uh, Penn State. I think he's the future there, too. I think they've already got it figured out beyond 2023. So that's that's a, a a pretty good place to be uh, at the most p- important position in football for, for Pitt right now. And and you brought up the backyard brawl. How important the backyard brawl and, I guess, that Pitt-Penn State game that we, we kind of got spoiled there for a couple years and then they took it away. Um, the WVU, the backyard brawl, I think, if I know, if I'm right, they're going to, this will be, they'll play it this year and then they're going to take a break from it as well. So, what is the importance of those two rivalries to the program? I think they have three games left in the backyard ball. They might not all be consecutive, um, but I think they have three games left okay. uh, in, this, in this contract. What do they mean right now? I think that's a hard question to answer. You know, they don't mean as much as they did. Like, that's pretty mm-hmm. clear. Um, I think they're a really good way to inject some enthusiasm to the beginning of college football season for teams that might not have it with their conference schedule. But let's be honest. Do Pitt fans really care about North Carolina, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech? Uh, you know, like the No. Well, they don't care. Um, they're much more excited about West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame than they are most of the conference schedule. I mean, they got Virginia Tech, uh, they got Miami, who are, you know, Syracuse of Boston College teams have been playing for a long time, but like you know, let's be real. Those three games, Syracuse, uh, West, West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame mean a lot more to the Pitt fan base than the rest of that whole schedule, even though they're the non-conference games. Maybe that's not the case for everyone. Um, you know, I think you can make an argument that for Penn State, where they want to go and having those two two teams, Michigan and Ohio State, in their way, I think that sort of provides those big games for them in a way that maybe Pitt and West Virginia don't necessarily have. I mean, if West mm-hmm. Virginia has a good year, they can win the Big 12. Who's the, like, big bad team there? Not Baylor, Oklahoma State. Like, I don't know. You know I don't know. Now, I guess Pitt could feel that way about Clemson, but that played them three times in seven years in the ACC. So, you know, I, I think maybe it's a little bit different for Penn State um, in what they mean now. What they meant, though, to me is is more interesting and what they will mean, and I think those are connected, you know, these rivalries are why college football is what it is. They are yeah. what made the sport popular. Um, they are what provided the windfall financially that all these schools have been trying to figure out how to divvy up. You know, if you say the Big Ten football rights are worth a billion dollars, then that means that Ohio State, Michigan is worth like three quarters of a billion dollars because all the rest of them aren't worth much, right? No. I mean, like nobody's paying for Rutgers Purdue, okay? Like that's. <laughs> That's it. That's not worth anything. So I think those are, you know, that's what the sport is all about. And when you lose them, uh, it devalues the entire product. And I think college football has been on this path of 
continuing down that road where we have fewer and fewer of these traditional robberies, which means we have mm-hmm. fewer and fewer of these games that matter to everyone. You know, we're going to have, it's not just, it's not just Rutgers Purdue now, and now Purdue gets to play UCLA too. Nobody cares. Nobody no. cares about that game. Right. And so we've built these super conferences. Uh, the TV money is drying up. You understand if you understand the the business model, it's it's going away. It's not it's going away and it's not coming back. Um, mm-hmm. As print has learned very very painfully as it transitioned from its traditional modes of distribution to solely being on the internet, there's less money on the internet. Uh, television is about to figure that out in a very very public and painful way. And these giant TV deals that have driven all of the moves that college sports have made over the last twenty years, they're going to go away too. And I think we're going to see the revival of the import of these games because you're going to have these games being played that don't matter. And they're only doing it for money. That's not coming anymore. You know, yeah. if, if, if the TV checks dry up, are we still going to play Rutgers, Nebraska? No, like we're not, we're going to go back to Nebraska playing Colorado and playing Missouri and playing Kansas and playing Iowa and playing Iowa state. Like that's the way it's meant to be. I think mm-hmm. we're headed back that way. And I think these games will eventually mean more, but in the meantime, we're kind of stuck in this limbo. I really think the athletic directors that are looking with a long lens uh, and, you know, you schedule out so far in college sports should realize like, look at what happened in major league baseball. If TV can shut off the faucet to major league baseball, they can shut off the faucet to you too. It is coming. You better have something in your inventory that people actually want to see. I, you know, I don't, I don't think I looked at it that way, but wow. It's if they can shut baseball up and you get 162 of those games, yeah. why wouldn't they shut off at for these 12 games that they're paying out of their, out of their backs? We'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about pit football. Let's move to that team in Oakland that uh, I think caught a lot of people by surprise this year. If I remember correctly, at the beginning of the season, there were there were calls that it was time. Jeff was we're gonna we're gonna walk him out the door. Here's your lovely parting gift and your watch, and please don't come back type thing. Um, what really made this team special this year, and what was it about? What was it just that time of Coach Capel's finally getting things to to be on his track, or just elaborate a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think it, the, the the issues that Pitt had had with. Jeff Cable early in, in his tenure, they were an interesting combination of problems that didn't seem likely to re- be replicated. He was getting good players. He was getting better players than Pitt had been getting. And they just weren't fitting together right. He wasn't getting the right personalities. He wasn't necessarily getting the right combination of talent. I think he reached for some guys uh, and, and and went after the best talent but didn't but he kind of ignored the personality part of it and it backfired in a big way they had some teams that just fell apart down the stretch i think mostly because they didn't like each other i mean i really yeah. think that was like the big problem with those teams the team legitimately just did not like each other they did not fit together and you know he didn't inherit anything and so he had no leadership structure in place to bring young guys onto the team and have them instead of, you know, to, to have them assimilate to, right. He had no, he had no team culture to bring guys into. 
And he really struggled with that part of it, I think. Um, and that's why, you know, you see um, Audis Tony's in the G League. Justin Champagne just got signed in the NBA. Um, pretty sure Xavier Johnson's going to end up there. Trey McGowan's has been there. All those guys are on those teams ended up being good basketball players. They are good basketball players. They just didn't fit together. And mm-hmm. so I think um, his end round around that was, okay, we're good at identifying talent and we're good at getting talent. Um, let's get more mature talent. And he went after the transfer portal in a different way and found some older, more experienced guys and said, okay, now maybe I have some guys that are mature enough that if they don't like each other, we can still play basketball together. Or hopefully they will like each other. And I think this team did, but even if they don't, they're mature enough that we can get through it. And then when we bring in young guys and maybe even troubled young guys, as we saw with Dior Johnson, you know, that there's a team culture that those young players can assimilate to and that you can hope that they will embrace and and you can fix your problems. You can still now go get high athletic guys that you can hope on and bring them into a team culture that can make them better uh, mm-hmm. while they make the team better. So I think that was the thing that they were missing. And I think that's why you know, guys like Nellie Cummings, guys like Jamarius Burton, who brought that culture and that experience and that just sort of toughness that comes with having been there and done that i think that was so crucial to what that team put together and hopefully uh you know the team can can build off that and continue that culture and carry it on he's got some more work to do in the portal you know the the sort of downside of that strategy is you don't get those guys for four years right you had most of them for one or two you got to keep repeating the process so uh, mm-hmm. he's got some work to do in the transfer portal but i like the 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 change in culture to me i think is the big story from this pit basketball season and i think that's the big reason they got so much better results now when you got to the halfway point of this basketball season did you think there was something could you see the difference in this team from the previous teams i thought from the very beginning that they were going to be a lot better this year um i just felt like they had a higher floor. Uh, even mm-hmm. I was at the West Virginia game and they got just, just creamed. Um, and I remember I was sitting there, George Michalowski's our, our basketball writer at Pittsburgh sports. Now I was talking, I was like, this doesn't change my mind about this team. Like I, like they're, they're, they're better than this final score and they're going to be okay. And they were, and I don't think I expected them to be, you know, making it to the second round of the tournament then, but I expected them to be, like going to the ACC tournament was something to play for. Like I felt like that was where this team should be. I think they overachieved that a little bit, but not a lot. Like that's about as that's about where I thought this pit team should be. And you know, we'll see what they're able to put together to see how they can build on that or, or not. But I think that I wasn't totally surprised by them ending up where they did. Now there was a point where we were talking about them like maybe they were you know like a six or a seven seed. I think that probably would have been a very big surprise to me. And so maybe they like briefly, seriously exceeded my expectations before coming back to to just meeting them. So, and and during the Xavier game, I think we saw different tournament pit teams. I mean, Xavier, I don't think at any point in time they were completely in control of that game. I mean, there was a lot of foul trouble. There was a lot of things that, that happened. But you're watching this team that, oh, okay, we're going to come down, we're going to shoot, and, and and we're just going to play basketball, and, and if it doesn't work out, it didn't seem – you couldn't visibly see players being upset or, or, or kind of scoreboard watching. They just kind of seemed to play the game, whereas in past years, as you said, there 
there just seemed to be more of that scoreboard watching and how many points do I have and et cetera. Um, so it seemed that that, and like you said, the culture has changed. Um, moving on to what today is, it's draft day. Um, I had coach Terry Smith on a couple weeks ago and, and he may be hinted that we could see a, a cornerback from Penn state, maybe make his way into that 17 spot. Where do you see the Steelers going? Is it is it the offensive line? Is it the defensive line? I mean, Cam's getting a little up there in age. Where, where do you see the Steelers going, especially after Omar has been – Omar Khan has been so active in free agency, which as a as a lifelong Steeler fan, I don't – can't remember a time that they were this active in, in free agency. Yeah, I think Omar's done a really nice job of covering all the bases. I don't think there's a position they feel like they should need to draft. I think there's a lot of positions they might want to draft. That's generally the best um, the best place to be. I think there are still a lot of places where this team can be better. Um, I mm-hmm. think they can be better at tackle. I don't think they should be – what did Mike Tomlin say with the owners meeting? He said, I'm – I'm comfortable, but I'm not happy. I think that's a good that's a good way to look at it. Like if those two guys got to play this year, talking about Chooks, Akora Four, and Dan Moore, like okay, they can play. We've seen them play, but I'm not happy with them either. You know, they 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 need to be better. Um, I think slot receiver, I think slot corner, I, I think you know coverage linebacker are some areas where the players on the team could be better. They're mm-hmm. also. And I really think that if you look in, back in time at the very best Steelers teams, I think they drafted ahead of their needs. I think that was the very best the Steelers ever were. Troy Polamalu didn't play his rookie year. Troy Polamalu mm-hmm. was one of the best athletes and most instinctive <laughs> players at his position ever. I bet you could have taken Troy Polamalu from 10th grade and thrown him onto the NFL field and had it done okay, right? But the Steelers were so built up that they drafted Troy Polamalu, a walk-in Hall of Famer, and were like, we don't need you this year. Um, Just hang out. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where like, that's when you'll know. Like, if they draft a guy in the first round, you're like, there's nowhere for him to go. Like, to me, that's when you know, like, oh, all right, well, this team's pretty good. I don't think they're quite there that. Like, I expect the guy that gets picked at 17 to play a lot this year. Um, Where? I think they've done too good a job in free agency to to pin them down. I also think there's a very good chance it's not at 17. I, I don't think Omar is going to sit there. Um, if, if he sees the guy, if he sees the position he really wants going, he's going to move up. If he doesn't like the way the board sits, he's going to move down. I expect him to be extremely active in trading draft picks. If you look at what Philly has done over the years, uh, Andy Weidel's influence on the team should be in that exact same vein. And so I would not be surprised at all if, if the pick is not made at 17. Um, but if it is, I think Joey Porter Jr. to me is the player that I think is uh, the most likely – that is likely to be there that they would definitely like to have. You know, there are other mm-hmm. guys that they hope will be there and they might want to take. There are guys they'll trade up to get. Um, there might be boards where they trade down, but I think Joey Porter Jr. will probably be there at pick 17, and I think they would like to have him. And so if you want to pick like an like a favorite, I think that's a that's a safe choice. But man, I wouldn't give it a high percentage. Like there's a lot of options there. Well, I was that was gonna be my next one. So is it it's covering the wide receiver, or is it that that you know that wide receiver that was at Pitt, then he was he went to USC and his court, his former quarterback that he had such so much success with, 
is the guy under center for the Steelers. I know that they're his name. I don't expect him to be in the side of the top 10, right? I mean, you got to figure he's going to go pretty high on that board, Jordan Addison. Yeah, I mean, I he didn't have a great uh, combine. I, I think he kind of fell down some boards. I think he got passed by Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, who had some injury concerns coming into the draft process, and he seemed to have answered all those. Um, so, I don't know. I think he's probably the third wide receiver off the board to me. Um, will probably be there for the Steelers at 17 if they want him. I just don't think he fits what they don't have. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if they want to draft a wide receiver, you know, if they were looking at the slot options, like they have some guys, they're not great. They're not proven. Um, but I think they like genuinely like Anthony Miller who had a great training camp until he was injured last year. I think they're very excited to see what Calvin Austin can do. Uh, those two guys are five, eight and five, 10 Jordan Addison's five eleven. Like if you want to, I just don't, there's not a lot of sense to me in drafting another p- part that you already have. You know, if mm-hmm. you want to pick another slot receiver, and if you look at what the Steelers have done at slot receiver in the last four or five years, it's been a lot of Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster. Well, those are two of the biggest wide receivers in the NFL. Um, so if they're going to draft a wide receiver, to me, I think it's going to be a big guy. I think that's uh, I think it will not be Jordan Addison. Or they could just draft another tight end. It is an extremely deep tight end class. Pat Frymuth has struggled a little bit with inline blocking. I think that's been his one big downside well you don't need him to inline block if you just draft another tight end and move him out and there's your slot guy i really like the idea of two tight end personnel for the steelers in general they want to run the ball we talked about their weakness at tackle just seems to all fit together very nicely for me so uh like a darnell washington or a dalton kincaid or uh you know somebody like that i think may not be a crazy option either um but yeah i would be a little bit surprised if it's jordan addison especially at 17 now if they trade down from there or maybe if he makes it to 32 uh, i'd say all oh, bets are off that's a really good player at that point in the draft but i would be a little surprised if, if he's the pick at 17 now how big is the loss of and cam sutton to this well i'm not sure we have the answer to that question yet um i think the biggest thing that i think will be missed about those two guys is their availability um they didn't miss a lot of football games over the last five years um and and versatility you know they're they're going to replace those two guys with about four i think uh we've already seen it safety they've got demonte kz and and keanu neal and to me that makes a little bit of sense right whereas if you kind of put those two guys on an athletic spectrum you know terrell's kind of right in between them right he's faster than neal um, but he's not bigger. He's mm-hmm. bigger than KZ, but he's not faster, right? So he's kind of like right in between. And I think a lot of the things that people consider downsides about Terrell Edmonds, especially early in his Pittsburgh career, is that it's just really hard to find one guy that can athletically do all the parts of the job that the Steelers were asking him to do. You know, it's really hard to go run fit Derrick Henry and then the next game cover Keenan Allen in the slot, right? Like yeah. one guy is going to have a really hard time with that job, no matter which one guy you pick. Let's just go find another Troy Polamalu. Like they're just <laughs> not around. I think they've sort of acknowledged that. And and now okay, we, well, we've got two guys, right? We've got a cover version of Terrell and we've got a, a you know, a, 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 a run stopping in the box version of Terrell. I think you see the same thing with Cam Sutton, right? Cam Sutton played inside, outside, pure coverage, not much of a run stopping guy, you know, you know, but, but could kind of do it all in the secondary. Well, Patrick Peterson to me is going to provide 
almost everything that Cam Sutton did as far as an outside corner. He's not as versatile, though. We're not going to see him come into the slot to go pick up Tyler Boyd, a Keenan Allen, a, you know, a, a, a guy like that. They're probably going to have to go find another one of those. They're going to need to replace Cam Sutton with Patrick Peterson and somebody. Maybe it's somebody we hear called in this draft, like an Emmanuel Forbes or a Clark Phillips or someone like that. Um, if those pieces all fit together the way we think they will and those guys stay healthy – I think they won't miss them that much, but that's still a very open question at this point. And the one thing that you get when you have a very, very available guys, so the thing about the, those two guys is that you know, it's always easier to find the little piece. If, if you have the big part, you know, it's like baseball with a platoon, right? Uh, if, if you're the, if you're the right handed hitting part of a platoon, then you're basically useless. Like you're, you're completely <laughs> interchangeable here, right? It's the lefty side that everybody wants. It's the guy that can play the big minutes that can do it over and over again. That's the, the more difficult thing to find. So, I mean, Neil's had some injury issues. KZ's had some injury issues. Uh, Peterson is way up there in age. Like to me, I think they're, piecing this together in a way that makes sense, but it's certainly not a sure thing to be better than what they had. So you don't think that Omar is done free agency wise. I don't know if it'll be, I think we'll probably be surprised if we see like another big name, but look, I mean, they brought in Larry Ogunjobi late in the process last year, brought in Malik Reed on a late season trade late in the process last year. No, I don't think they're done. I think we'll see uh, more additions and, um, yeah, I, I think that's been their MO actually for a while is that they kind of enjoy. Um, if you think back, um, Ryan Switzer came over late in training camp. Vance McDonald came over late in training camp. That's been a pretty consistent theme for them for a few years where they're willing to make those moves even right up until the very end if they think they can make the team better. So, no, I, I wouldn't say they're done at all. Now, I got to ask because, you know, as a Steeler guy, I, I don't we don't miss a game. Guy. Colin plays. He uh he he came under some scrutiny this this season. Um I I, I think at one point somebody said that he could uh he could come down and coach our midget football program because we only have seven plays and they're perfect for him. What do you feel is the is it Matt Canada or is it just kind of he was getting into place with a new quarterback again? Is that and keeping him was that to keep Kenny Pickett consistent and not changing coordinators on him into his second season. Um, and do you think that he'll make it through the contract? <laughs> well, okay. I, you know, I've, I've known Matt for a while. I covered him when he was at Pitt in, in 2016. And I feel like I have a very good understanding of what he's trying to do on offense. Um, it is a running offense. It is meant to run the football. All of the things that you think of as sort of hallmarks of a Matt Canada offense, jet sweeps, pre-snap motions and shifts, um, you know, unbalanced lines, weird formations, all of that is for the running game. None of that has anything to do with the passing game. Um, when the Steelers were looking for their next offensive coordinator – and they knew that offensive coordinator was going to be the offensive coordinator that took them into the scary future beyond Ben Roethlisberger. I think someone with a creative running attack made sense for them. Right? They went out and drafted Najee Harris. They mm -hmm. got an offensive coordinator with an innovative running attack. And I believe the plan was for them to be, 
you know, be a running team to, to make that their, their, their signature in the post Ben era, you know, they're going to be drafting late in the draft. This is not a team that has plans on being bad. Um, they, they could not expect to get a highly regarded quarterback at any point. And so I think they made plans to, to live life without it. If you look at Matt Canada's college offenses, even the best ones, um, not a lot of star power at the quarterback position, you know, mm-hmm. However, a few stars are running back, um, you know, uh, had, had some good ones. And so I think um, that it was the idea. And I think it was a reasonable idea. You know, I, I, there's a lot of people that didn't like the hire when it was made. I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was a, a sound plan. Um, it didn't work for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is that the offensive line has been so bad that they haven't been able to run the ball, even though they wanted to. Um, that, that was a big part of it. The second part of it, though, was that, Kenny Pickett falls into their lap, right? Um, you know, we talk about the draft and how the Steelers are very predictable in the draft generally. And everyone, you know, I'll, I'll talk about their tendencies and people are like, oh, it's a smokescreen. Like, Steelers don't really do that. And like, people say, like, what about Malik Willis? Well, they had all this interest. Like, yeah, they had all this interest because they thought Kenny Pickett was going 10 picks before them. Of course they were interested in Malik Willis. <laughs> Uh, then just the, you know, the happenstance occurs above them. And I'll tell you this. The New Orleans Saints were right ahead of the Steelers. Kenny Pickett thought he was going to be a saint. Like, yep. the Steelers thought. He thought he was going to be a saint. Um, so they did not expect him to be there. When that happened, I think the plan had to change. Um, mm-hmm. You now have a first-round quarterback that needs to be, first of all, has the talent to throw. So, okay, we're going to try to throw the ball a little bit. And needs to be nourished and encouraged, you know, in a certain fashion. Um I'm not sure that Matt Canada is the right guy for that job. He's never done it before. So I don't even know how he could be sure he's the right guy for that job. Okay. Um, And even if he is, I just think he was not prepared for the way that the plan changed in the 2022 season and that they did not have a passing offense that was built to make the most out of Kenny Pickett's talent. They had, they had your your seventh graders, right? That's that's what they, you know, from a passing standpoint, what they had was very simple. Now the run offense is extremely complicated, but the passing stuff is very basic. That was intentional. I'm not gonna sit here and say that Matt can't come up with a good passing offense, but he certainly wasn't even trying to last year. And so uh, and we saw that, right? Everyone, the whole world saw it. And yeah. so um, I am interested and curious to see what he can come up with. Uh, Glenn Thomas is a new hire on the offensive staff, has a bit of an air raid background, also worked for Matt Rule in the past. So like a couple of different creative, what I would call creative passing offensive influences. I think something like that's good. I would be not opposed to more of that if they want to hire somebody like a, oh, Byron Leftwich, Mark Whipple, some guys <laughs> that had uh, a little bit more success doing this in the NFL. I think that's what's missing from the Steelers offensive coaching staff right now is guys that have been there and done that. Um, It's really hard to lead the way when you haven't been there before. And I think it's asking a lot of Matt Canada to be that for Kenny Pickett right now. And I think that's been, you know, part of the source of the frustration, but it, it does not help Kenny any to just rip the whole playbook out from his hands in year one either. You know, I think if, if, even if I had decided after his first year that I did not want to, that I did not want to keep Matt Canada as coordinator. I think the idea of 
all right, well, let's find some of these bat rule concepts and let's find some of these air raid concepts. Let's work them into our offense this year and let's make Kenny a little bit more well-rounded quarterback this year. And then if it doesn't work out with Matt now next year, it's not going to be a shock to his system if we bring in another offensive coordinator that does something completely different. He will have you know, built up an understanding of multiple different concepts and just be able to deal with it. So are you, are, are you comfortable enough to put an end to the rumors that we're going to see seven up there in the <laughs> – up there in the booth calling calling the offense because I've seen I've if you go down Twitter every time Matt Canada's name comes up there's three or four and I'm gonna use the Pittsburgh word there's three or four jagoffs that you gotta hear them say well you know what if we could just get seven up there in the booth everything would be great I don't know if that's the answer well okay I mean there's there's a couple of things here and I'm glad you asked me this because I get this a lot and so I'm 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 glad to go here. For one, first of all, I think if Ben came out and made an announcement and said, I want to get into coaching, I'm going to be the the whatever, coordinator, quarterbacks coach of, of here, and I'm going to be at practice every day, and I'm going to be fully involved and pour my whole self into this process, and you know, early nights, early mornings and late nights and the whole nine yards, I think his wife might kill him. I think that we might have a domestic assault situation uh, up there in the uh, the North Hills. I mean, I'm kidding, obviously, but look, I mean, the guy just did that for 17 years. His kids are young. Like, I think he wants to be there for them. And I think he's been, he's been around pro football long enough to know that you can't fake it. You can't halfway it. You got to be either all in or all out. And I don't see him as a guy right now that would be willing to be all in based on where his family life is right now. Um, Maybe in the future that might change. He also certainly doesn't need the money. So, I mean, what's he doing it for? Like, where is the big drive to get Ben Roethlisberger (laughs) to go to work for 14 hours every day? I don't know. If I'm him, I'm like, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. I'm cool. Okay. (laughs) The second part about this is I don't want to say that Ben can't be a good coach. I don't have any idea if he would be a good coach. But if we are just basing it on the way he played, in which his favorite play was, I don't know, get open and I'll figure it out. (laughs) That yes. does not scream future head coach. Like you want to come to me and be like, Josh Dobbs, quarterback coach. I'm like, all right. Like yeah. I, I can see this. Like, okay. Like, Rocket hey, scientist. He's an intellectual guy. He, you know, he was the first guy when Ben would come to the sidelines with the clipboard and the iPad and showing him pictures and drawing stuff. And that was not Ben at all, ever at, at any point. No, it was just yeah. keep going. Gotcha. <laughs> like that, that was all it was. And so like, yeah, listen, I'm not like, I'm not like I'm not minimalizing him mentally to say that like he couldn't do it, but I don't know what about watching him play scream to anyone like, well, this guy's obviously a future coach. Like maybe he can do it, but I don't know why everybody immediately goes there. Like it doesn't make any sense. to me. Well, and, and people forget the year that he was hurt. The meme that went around for months of him with a headset on and it wasn't even plugged into anything. So like, we're going to say that Ben's just going to decide to take the headset off and go, Hey, come here. I'm going to draw this in the sand and you're going to go out there. I used to do it all the time. You'll be fine. kid. Did you try telling him to get open? (laughs) Did you, did you point? You you forgot the point. Oh, next time point. Um, Last question. I wrap up every show this way. Um, Is there a question that you were expecting? And if so, how would you have answered it? Wait, was there a question that I was expecting? Was there a question from me that you were expecting? And if so, what? how would you have answered it? 
Uh, no, I don't think um, there was a question I was expecting. I try to live life without expectations. Clint Hurdle taught me this. Um, man, I guess I can remember his exact quote because Clint Hurdle had like a, a witty saying for everything in the world. Um, but but the gist of it is, is that um, expectations lead to disappointment. Right. Like you, if you don't have any expectations, you can't be uh, upset about what happens. And I feel like that was a uh, solid message from the old ball coach. I liked Clint's mental approach to life. Um, a guy that I had a lot of respect for who was a first round pick and, you know, a big shot and then was a failed prospect and an alcoholic and reinvented himself as a professional and as a person and found his way to, some great success later in his career. He was always a person that when I was covering, I, I felt like I learned a lot from. And so uh, expectations cause disappointment is, is one of those things that I've tried to live by. And so I didn't have any, I don't feel like I've been disappointed. Uh, you've exceeded my lack of expectations at every turn. And uh, that's all I got. Well, I appreciate that. That that's a that's nice. That's probably the nicest thing that's been said on this show about me as the host. So, <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you enjoy the draft tonight. Um, you sticking around with us? I'm going to send it to Serenity Brown with the editorial. She's going to tell me all the things that I did wrong, which where there were plenty, and she'll find them during editing. Um, but this has been. Alan Saunders, um, Straff Day. Make sure you catch tonight, and we'll be right back, Chuckleheads. What's going on, Chuckleheads, and welcome back. I am Carla Guadalino. This is the editorial with Serenity Brown. That's Serenity Brown. Uh, before we get started, I need to uh, make some comments about last week's editorial. I misspoke. Uh, not in my first pick. The Sopranos is the greatest show that's ever been created. Uh, number two, I was introduced a couple weeks ago to Grey's Anatomy, and that's all we have watched for the better half of a month now. Um, and it all started because I saw a TikTok about burr holes, and <laughs> now I'm hooked. So that's my number two. And I, I, never... also, I also guess I have to say that I misspoke, too, because my paradise is not supposed to be on the list. Mine was supposed to be Supernatural. Very graciously. Uh, reminded me of that after we stopped recording. <laughs> uh, and, you know, last week was a great time. This week, however, it's draft day. Mm -hmm. um, I had a really fun, a lot of fun, not really fun, I had a lot of fun talking with Alan, um, not just about the draft, but about pit football, pit basketball, and kind of, it's just nice to talk to a guy from that side of town, you know, <laughs> that side of side of Pittsburgh we're it's just different but uh what did you think this week I think it was a a good episode there was times where I was like whoa he spoke real fast it was it never got like to a point where it was so fast that I couldn't understand him I, I couldn't understand him because I don't know what the hell you guys you guys were talking about but but it wasn't because of the speed it's, yeah um it'd be that way it'd be that way it do be doing um i thought there were there were a couple points that i i found really interesting one before we get to the draft stuff um hit the conversation about pit football and about pit basketball and 
where the basketball team, where they were having their struggles and why they, he, he didn't just say, oh, you know, they brought in guys that, that didn't mesh well. He explained that, yes, Coach Cable brought in really good players. They just weren't able to yeah. bridge their dislike for each other for the better good of the team. Um, I also thought it was interesting him talking about the the pit defense is going to lose T line all the way back to safety, and D line's not really a concern where we're going to worry about because I mean obviously Pitt puts out a lot of talent from that uh, front four, um, and then you know his draft special part was was interesting because things have happened even since that recording that yeah. maybe have changed where the Steelers will go tonight. I mean, um, they went out and got themselves a receiver and, and, and a seventh-round pick and really just moved down a couple picks, flip-flopping with uh, the Rams. Um, I, I, this means nothing to you, but I'm very excited for, for tonight. I, I'm, I, I think the Steelers are in a position where they can, they can draft for the future now, when we say tonight, do we mean tonight, tonight, or tonight when the show comes out? Tonight when the show comes out. All right, cool. Yeah, which is Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> now, you see, this is a teaching moment here. So when we do this, sometimes we do it the night before, sometimes we do it, like, on a Monday. I was just making sure. They don't know when we recorded this. So when I say, like, tonight, <laughs> we're referring to the day that the episode is coming out. Um, so, you know, for the next time, this is the editorial, so we're just, we're working this out. <laughs> so for the checking. next time, just like, keep that in mind. Uh, double triple checking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't triple check a double check. Um, so top three musicals. Chicago. The, sorry, <laughs> I make noises sometimes. We literally just watched a musical. Yesterday, I know. Chicago. Chicago, but you can't think of two other ones that you really enjoyed? Or are you trying not to say Hamilton because it's so <laughs> new that you don't want to get, you don't want to get bashed by our 15, our 15 viewers? That, oh my God, she pointed that out because it just came out. I'll put Hamilton in there, and then probably, I'm going to say this one because I went to see it on Broadway, and it was cool. It made me cry. Finding Neverland. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Why did it make you cry? It was just that good? It was sad. Yeah, it was just... yeah but it was also really good. Oh, okay. Uh, my three would probably be West Side Story, number one. Uh, Grease. Because I always okay. need some... Loves me some yeah. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. Mm -hmm. um, and the third one's tough. Just say Hamilton. <laughs> I don't think I will. Just, I don't think I will. Just say it. I don't think I will. <laughs> just say it because you I know will. it's true. It's not true. It's not. It's in my top five. It's not in my top three. Uh, says the man who listens to soundtrack on repeat. Listen, that should'll get you through a day. I promise you it'll get you through a day. Same thing as listening to Bo. It gets you through a day. Yeah. Um, before we get away, thank you to everybody that continues to watch. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Um, 
If you're listening, do the same thing, but it's a little bell. It's not a like button. Just get the notifications. Although I think you can give me a thumbs up, right? You can give the show a yeah, thumbs up so. on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on the social medias, it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The only one that's different is uh, Instagram. Instagram. It's dingo underscore talk. And because it's draft day and because my buddy would be 65 this year and we would be watching the game at ye old Bubba's Bison Inn. Um, I think that's how we're going to enjoy the draft. Happy birthday, Chuck. And we'll catch you next week, Chuckleheads. So it's your turn. <laughs> You're right. I did. I just Thanks for checking out this episode of Dingo Talk. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. For more info and to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at Dingo Talk.